Wonderful. Thanks so much, uh, Caroline. Um, as well said, my name's Tom. If you don't know me, I'm uh, one of the clergy leadership team here. And it's a joy to be speaking to you this morning in our resurrection series. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you about resurrection friendship. Now, um, this week has been a significant week in the Hill household. My um, three-year-old son, Josh, had his first proper nursery report. And it's all, headlines are good, he's doing well, he's having fun, he's learning. But there was one piece of feedback that kind of caught our eye as we read through his report. His teacher said, Josh is happy to play alongside other children and has recently started to join in with imaginary games such as being a dinosaur and roaring and chasing after the other children. Now, if you've ever met my son Josh, you'll know that is perfectly in character, and that's fine. But we were a little bit concerned that he might be scaring the other children with all this kind of roaring like a dinosaur. So we we thought we'd follow up. We went in and had a chat to his teachers, and uh, Megan asked a little bit more about the roaring. And Josh's teacher's response was, oh, no, it's fine. When Josh roars at you, that means he wants to be your friend. I just love that. I wish that it was socially acceptable as an adult to make friends by going and roaring at somebody. I might try it after, after church at, over at coffee. Feel free to roar back at me if you want. But the reality is, isn't it, that however we do it, building friendships and building meaningful connections is important, isn't it? Especially at the moment. We live in a world of smartphones and social media and dating apps You know, in many ways, we've never been more connected, but at the same time, somehow, we have never been more alone. A recent survey found out that one in three British people admit to feeling frequently lonely. That's a high percentage, isn't it? One in three of us. And that's across all age groups and ethnic backgrounds. And it's been in the news this week. You may have seen it as um, the top US scientist, a guy called Vivek Murthy, Um, said that loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It does as much damage to your physical health as smoking. Isn't that incredible? It literally takes years off your life. And even more um, poignantly, he told his own story about loneliness, Vivek Murthy. He said that he had thrown himself into his work so much uh, over a few years that he had found himself isolated. Listen to what he says. He says, I neglected my family and my friends, thinking that it was too hard to focus on work and focus on family and friends. I was really suffering from the consequences of that, which were a profound sense of loneliness that followed me for weeks, which stretched into months. I wonder this morning if you can relate to that loneliness. There are so many ways that 21st century life can make us feel lonely, aren't there? It doesn't have to be work-related. Perhaps you're experiencing the breakdown of a significant relationship, maybe a marriage. Maybe you're a carer to somebody and you just you don't have time to invest in deep friendships. Or for many of you, it could be that over weeks and months, maybe even years, you've just noticed your support network drifting away. Well, friends, this morning I've got good news for you. If one of any of those things resonate with you, there is truth in this passage that tells us that tells us that in Jesus' presence, we have everything we will ever need. Every longing for friendship, every longing for companionship is met in Jesus, as we're going to see from this story. So let's get into the text now. 
We're going to be working from um, John chapter 21. And uh, I really encourage you to have your Bible open if you can. It's on page 1090. If you've got a Bible near you, please do open it. It's 1090. We always encourage us to do that because it's important. Will and I believe that you've got it in front of you. You know we're not just making it up, okay? This is truth. This is in in Scripture. So let me pray as we come to it. So, Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the Bible which speaks words of truth through the years to us. We pray that by your Holy Spirit this morning, you would open our hearts to receive it. In your name, amen. So where, where are we here? We heard it read to us earlier on, didn't we? Where are we? It always helps to have a bit of a recap. We know that Jesus has come to earth fully God and fully human. He's lived among his people. He's preached and he's taught and he's done miracles for three years. And at the end of all of that, he's been unjustly arrested. He's been sentenced to death for completely trumped up charges, non-existent crimes. He's been betrayed. He's been abandoned by his closest friends. And he's killed on a cross, witnessed by hundreds of people. And just kind of when it looks like all is lost, like there's a Hollywood twist. Three days later, he rises again from the dead. So it's good news. Um, But you know what? It's kind of like there's this twist and Jesus comes back from the dead. But he's kind of different because he's there. But then sometimes he's not. We heard from Will last week that he appeared in a locked room without kind of coming through the door, just out of nowhere. And we heard a couple of weeks before that on the road to Emmaus, he just disappears again out of nowhere. So he's different. He's, he, he's the same, but different. And these disciples have been through a heck of a lot in the past um, three days, or well, past three years. They've been following this guy for three years. They've devoted their whole life to him, lived in his presence 24-7, and then he's been executed in front of their eyes. They've had three days of the most raw, kind of heart-wrenching grief. And then, as we've said, he suddenly appears again. But he's there, and, and he's not there at the same time. What is going on? Talk about an emotional roller coaster that these disciples have been on. We heard last week about that um, resurrection encounter, and this morning we're going to hear about another one. This group of seven friends gather together. Um, so it's Peter, it's Thomas, it's Nathaniel, James and John, and a couple of others. And they're doing probably what you or I would do in that situation. They're disorientated. They're a bit kind of lost. So they go back to what they know. They go back to their old hometown, the place they lived before they met Jesus, and they go to do what they always used to do, which is go fishing on a lake. And this is how it plays out. Verse 3 in your passage. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now immediately you might recognize there's something familiar about this passage. Because basically three years before this happened, almost exactly the same thing happened. Um, And it was the same group of friends. It was Peter and James and John. They were out fishing with Jesus in the boat. In the same way, they'd been fishing all night, but they hadn't caught anything. And in the same way, Jesus told them to put their net over the other side of the boat. And in the same way, they hauled in this incredible full net full of fish. 
So when, when this like virtually identical miracle happens here, it's like Jesus is saying to his friends, it's okay, it's the same Jesus, I'm the same Jesus that I always was, I'm back and it's me. I can still command the whole of nature. Look at what I can do. I can do this miraculous catch of fish in the same way that I did many years before. Do you notice in the passage how immediately John, who humbly describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, how quickly John recognizes Jesus because of the miracle? You know, he, um, He's peering through the mist on a kind of like foggy morning from the boat, peering at the shore. And he can see this shadowy figure He doesn't know who it is, but as soon as this net comes in with all the fish in it, he knows exactly who it is. He turns to Peter and says, it is the Lord. John recognizes Jesus because of his power. Now, often we go through this story and that's where we stop because that's an amazing place to stop, right? Jesus has done this incredible miracle. It's been this miraculous catch of fish. And we go, oh, he's a God of power. And that's where we stop. But I think that's a mistake this morning. Because I'm not sure that this miracle, incredible though it is, is the centre of this story. So let's read on together. The seven friends hurry, they get their boat, they go to the shore with this huge catch of fish, and then we join it again in verse 9. When they landed, on the, when they, landed they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And here, friends, is where we get to the turning point of the whole story. Because our understanding of who Jesus is hinges on his next four words. Our entire grasp of what it means to be a Christian hangs on what Jesus says next, these four words. They have life-changing consequences. So what are these deep, profound, theologically complicated words that Jesus says? Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Really? I can't think of four more mundane words. I say that to my children every single morning. It has no effect. They stay watching the TV and they ignore me. But, so why are these words life-changing? Well, just for a moment, let's have a think about who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to Peter, who when Jesus was on trial, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. He's talking to Thomas, who point blank refused to believe that Jesus had even risen from the dead. He's talking to James and Nathaniel, who literally ran away from Jesus when he was arrested. They abandoned him. And he's talking to John, the friend so faithful and reliable that When Jesus asked him to pray for him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he fell asleep. Can you imagine how embarrassed and awkward they must have felt? You know, they'd all let Jesus down in awful ways recently, in the last few days. And yet here he is, sitting around a fire, cooking breakfast for them. 
You see, by offering his friends this kind of simple invitation to come and eat with him, Jesus is telling them that despite their mess-ups, their bad decisions, their selfishness, he's never, ever going to leave them. Just look at how the disciples recognize Jesus again, right after that invitation. We read on in verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They didn't just know Jesus by his power. They knew Jesus by his presence. Because Jesus died and rose again, it means that he can invite them into everlasting friendship that goes even beyond death. And here's the news, friends, that we desperately, desperately need to hear this morning. In an age where we are in the midst of a pandemic of loneliness, that same invitation to friendship extends to you. However badly you've messed up, however much you have isolated yourself, however much shame you feel about yourself, the experience of those disciples on the beach that day shows that there is no gap big enough between us and God that we put between us and him that he cannot cross. About 15 years ago, I had my own um, experience of crippling loneliness. I was in my early 20s and, you know, to all intents and purposes, I would have said I was winning at life. That would be the expression that I would have used. I had a well-paying job in the police um, I'd splashed out on an expensive car and I decided that the time had come for me to get fully independent and move out. And I, I, I was in a house show at the time, but I was like, no, I need my financial independence. So I, I bought a flat um, a few miles, a good few miles away from where I lived. It was in a town a little bit of a way away and I moved out. But over the weeks and months that followed, things didn't really go as I thought they were going to. I had a shift pattern that made... Um, socialising really difficult. So often I found myself coming home late at night from work, having my dinner, go straight to bed, wake up in the morning, watching TV, go straight out to work without seeing another person. I became distant from my friends who had supported me in the past and I'd been going through a really difficult relationship breakup and that meant that I kind of ended up in a really dysfunctional relationship that was just the wrong place to be. My job was paying well but actually a I didn't enjoy it, and I began to resent it. And to top it off, my church was miles away, and, and it, was, it was too much effort to look for a new one, so I just, you know, I just stopped going. I found that the more distance I put between myself and other people, the worse I felt about myself, and the more distant I felt from God. You know, I have this clear memory of one night of sitting in the armchair in my living room, and I just remember feeling utterly isolated, totally lonely, totally on my own. And in that moment, I reached out to an old friend, and to this day, I praise the Lord for him, because in a small act of kindness, he changed the direction of my life. He invited me to his new church, and I went there for the first time on Easter Sunday, 2006, and that was the day for me that my life began to change. I went to this church and I heard the good news again. I heard that Jesus' invitation to friendship was for me. And I remembered that. 
It didn't matter how far away I'd run from him, how many selfish decisions I've made, how convinced I had been that I just needed to be independent. Jesus was still there, sat beside the crackling fire, the smell of fish kind of wafting across, the smell of roasting bread gently wafting around towards me. And Jesus still sitting there saying to me, Tom, come and have breakfast. Yes, he is a God of power. But more than that, he is a God of presence. The writer Dane Ortland phrases it really well. He says, whether you have ignored it, neglected it, squandered it, or hardened yourself to it, the Lord Jesus Christ approaches you today, not with arms crossed, but with arms open, the very position in which he hung on the cross. I wonder this morning, do you feel that crippling loneliness? Are you single, but you desperately want to be married? Are you going through a divorce or a separation? Are you struggling to have a family? Have you been bereaved? Are you sick? Do you feel abandoned by your friends? Do you feel invisible to others? Have you been betrayed by somebody close to you? Friends, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus' invitation is to you. Listen to the promises throughout the Bible. Proverbs 18.24 There is a friend who is closer than a brother. Hebrews 13.5 Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Matthew 28.20 I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We live in an age when everything is available to us, but nothing satisfies. We have never been more lonely. But in these four short words, Jesus reminds us that in him we have everything that we will ever need. He is not just a God of power. He is a God of presence. So as I finish this morning, we have a choice. Will we go with the ways of the world, looking for meaning in money, looking for friendship in likes, looking for self-worth on dating apps? Or will we hear the voice of our Saviour inviting us this morning to come home, to sit, gather around the fire and eat with him? In an age of loneliness, Jesus says to you today, come and have breakfast. Will you say yes?